Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever, ever need. This is episode number 18. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Death Stranding, Grand Theft Auto V still outselling games in 2019, and the inevitable ban hammers today is november 11th 1111 happy singles day to everybody out there in china and happy veterans day thank you for your service past present and future we're gonna get right into it first and foremost i just want to talk about luigi's mansion 3 i promise this might be the last time i'm going to talk about luigi's mansion 3 here on this show i get it a lot of people have been telling me that i love luigi look uh, he is in my opinion, the best, you know, Nintendo character, but uh, that's beside the point. Let's just talk about the game itself. I was able to finish it, got through all 15 levels of the mansion, and look, I gotta say, this this is still, in my opinion, one of the best Switch games that exist on the system. It's, it's very different from anything else that's on there. You know, I talked about it a little bit last week about the animations, uh, the music, just the charm of it. You know, if, if if you can't play this game without smiling, you must be an extremely cold-hearted person because it's very, very hard to get through this game without, a, you know, a, a laugh or cracking a smile. But I was able to get through it. There are still kind of achievements. You can go back and uh, go back to each floor and get the booze and things like that. So something I plan on doing probably a little bit further in the future. But for right now... The game that I'm playing is Death Stranding. So Death Stranding, I picked up on... Uh, I started playing on Thursday. I was able to get a day before release date. And it's one of the few games that I read the reviews on it before the game actually released. I'm personally the type of person... I, I just really don't put a lot of weight into reviews. Whether it's film, whether it's music, whether it's video games... I usually rely on my own personal taste and my personal opinion for going out and getting something. Uh, and when it came to Death Stranding, I already knew that I was going to get it regardless of what any me, anyone in the media even said about it. Even if the game got straight zeros from every single media outlet, it kind of wouldn't matter to me. I, I would still uh, pick it up because I... I I'm one of those people that personally believes that there's no such thing as an objective review. Sometimes you get a, a mix between subjective and objective, but I think most reviews, especially for video games, more than any other medium, is is extremely subjective, more so than a film review would be. And for those reasons, I don't really put too much weight on reviews, and even further, I don't put a lot of much a lot of weight onto the review numbers because I don't think they really translate well for what the experience is going to be for different people. And there's no game that to me has had such a large difference between people who love it and people who don't love it or people who hate it than a game like Death Stranding. Death Stranding is really you love it or you you hate it. You're into the the main core loop of the game or you're instantly bored by it and you're not going to pursue finishing the game at all. Um, and right now I've gotten to the point where everything is flowing really nicely. You know, I'm, I'm, I've picked up a very, very good pace in the game. 
So it's been a lot more engaging than the first five to ten hours were. And a lot of the reviews that came out suggested that the first ten hours, you have to kind of get through that before the game kind of begins to, to open up. And it's they bring up a very, very good point. A lot of the reviewers talk about Chapter 3 kind of being that, that turning point in the game, which is about 10 hours into it. But after getting into Chapter 3, I personally realized that the chapters that came before it and the fact that it was a bit of a slow ramp up were very necessary before getting to Chapter 3. If the mechanics that you're introduced to in Chapter 3, you had them from the very beginning, then I feel like those mechanics wouldn't have had as much of an impact uh, if you had access to kind of everything in the first part of the game. And I started to think a little bit about, you know, the notion that this game is deemed as boring by, by, by some people. And I think it's easy to see the game in videos and in trailers and seeing the gameplay and instantly think that this is boring and in hindsight you i i personally realize now why kojima and sony were very careful about the amount of gameplay that they showed like we really didn't get much of a a big gameplay showcase until tokyo game show which was just a few months ago you know it really wasn't that long ago and it was all done for that express purpose because if we saw this loop very, very early on, I think it would be a lot harder for people to understand that don't take the video, don't take the gameplay at face value. That's not really where the biggest impact of the game is. But I think also Sony and Kojima missed an opportunity to do a better job of explaining the online component of the game because it is the best part of the game is the online interactivity or the quote-unquote strand gameplay that the game has. So before I talk about that, I want to talk about a couple of things that I do think that the game did uh, does really well. Uh, just like the Metal Gear games, I think Kojima does a good job of what I call slow dripping the story, which is kind of introducing you to a world, but not, but, but letting you kind of experience it and peel away the layers yourself rather than kind of everything being spoon fed to you at the very, very beginning. You know, when, when the game starts, it doesn't really start with, you know, Hey, let, let me tell you exactly what the death stranding was. Let me tell you about this, event that changed the world you know it doesn't really start with that exposition it starts you're kind of you're already in the boots of of, of sam porter bridges who's the main character played by norman reedus and then from there the game kind of opens up very very slowly and you can read additional information as you complete missions in order to learn a little bit more about Timefall and Kyrelium and all this other stuff. So I personally like that approach about the story where you might find yourself at one point like, man, I don't really know exactly what's going on. I think that it's a, an interesting way to tell a, a, a story uh, from that perspective rather than you know everything that's happening in this world at once. It's all being thrown at you in chapter one rather than it opening up. 
opening it up slowly. I think that way to go about it was the better uh, direction for this game. Uh, the other thing that's great are the cutscenes. The cutscene direction is some of the best you'll see in any game. I think uh, that's really where Kojima shows his expertise. Kojima is a director that is a huge, huge movie buff, watches a lot, a lot of films, has a lot of respect for various directors, understands their techniques and the reason why uh, this angle is used, the reason why this lighting is used, the reason why that cut was used in the edit. Um, He's very masterful in that craft, and it really comes across in the cutscene direction. And not really, I don't think it's fair to compare it to a sequence in a film, but comparing it to other cutscenes in other games, it really is kind of a notch above those, uh, in my opinion. The dialogue, it's in some in some parts, I felt like it could use some work, but I also do think that number one, the voice acting is really good. The mocap is really on point, and all of it is really really supported by the engine, which is the Decima engine that was um, created by the team at Guerrilla Games, uh, known for Killzone, Horizon Zero Dawn. And as I'm playing this game, I'm thinking to myself, man, Horizon Zero Dawn 2 is just going to look absolutely mind-blowing because this is what Death Stranding looks like on PS4 hardware. I can't imagine when Horizon Zero Dawn 2 is going to look like on the Decima engine on PlayStation 5. I mean, it's going to be absolutely mind-blowing. I'm playing on a regular PlayStation 4. I do not have a PS4 Pro. But the game looks amazing. Like the environments are really, really good. I haven't really seen uh, too much like, you know, pop in or, or, or clipping or any of those bad technical issues that you see in, 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 in some games. And the technology really, really supports the cutscenes. You know, um, the characters don't look super weird when, when they speak or they interact with one another. The only thing, <laughs> the only thing that's kind of weird in the character models to me personally are their teeth there's some characters in the game where their teeth i don't know it sounds kind of weird but it looks like their teeth are are, are too big for their mouths <laughs> it sounds a little weird but that's the only thing to me when i look at it, i was like man there's something really off with the teeth but the um the eyes and you know the wrinkles in the skin there's a lot of uh details that come across um during the cutscenes that really really kind of engross you and put you in it um, so that, that part of it is, is good. The bad about the cutscenes is that there are definitely just too many of them. You know, within the first hour of the game, you probably only play maybe 10 or 15 minutes and the rest of it is all cutscenes. And I think by now, Kojima having directed so many games, I think Kojima has to become better at expanding a story within gameplay parameters. You know, like, the unique thing about our medium, this medium that we love, video games, is that it's unlike any other medium in terms of um, film, music, uh, literature. The difference is that the stories that are crafted by these teams of people, these writers and these directors, it's our story to control. Um, it, we are inside of that world. That's what makes video games so unique. And anyone who's a gamer understands fully the appeal of that type of medium. And I think when it comes to the terms of Death Stranding, 
and even thinking the past of the Metal Gear Solid games, when they're so so heavy on cutscenes, the a, a lot of that can be achieved by just keeping it in the in-game engine and having um, characters in an enclosed space where I can still walk around and feel like I'm interacting and part of the dialogue rather than having to set my control down and just watch what happens. Sometimes those cutscenes are very, very necessary for big, big set pieces and to really get across the emotions of a character. But there were a lot of points that I was playing, especially in those first few hours, where I was just like, man, that cutscene could have easily been chopped down from 10 minutes down to 5 minutes and gotten the same exact point across. Um, so sometimes these cutscenes, in my opinion, can, can get really to the point of being over-directed and over-edited, where you could have gotten the same point across in half the time uh, that you did. And outside of that, the 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 appeal of the game in my opinion is is, is what they're calling the quote unquote the strand gameplay which is what Kojima is saying this is the genre that I have created and it, it's a little bit hard for me to go out on a limb and say give Kojima the utmost credit for this gameplay mechanic because we've seen video games in the past kind of play on something like this. Most commonly, a lot of people bring up Dark Souls, for example, where it's an asymmetric online experience where we are able to interact with each other, just not in kind of real time, for example. Um, But I think what Kojima did was he took that idea and he really, really expanded it and made it kind of the backbone of the game. And this was the opportunity that I feel like Sony failed to really, really get across in their marketing was the strand gameplay and how unique and kind of the appeal of it. Because once you're playing the game, you realize how cool it is. You know, the fact that you're trying to get <clears throat> from point A to point B and you're seeing these other things that people have created that you are utilizing, you are using, such as a ladder or a rope or a, a, a generator to charge your, your bike, for example. Um, anything that you build can be used by other players, but the way that the game does it is very, very smart. You're not, it doesn't ever feel like you're bombarded with things. Like you can put down signs in a game, but the amount of signs that you actually see, when I was playing the game, I was like, there's no way that someone in this part, the same part of the game as me, only put down, you know, five signs, for example. There's probably thousands of signs exactly where I'm standing, but the game is smart enough to populate, to to not kind of uh, overwhelm you with the signs, overwhelm you with bridges and ladders. Sometimes it, it does get a little redundant. Like I've seen like three ladders kind of all next to each other. So I don't think the system is super duper perfect with it. And then every time you use something, the person who set it down gets a, a like, and then you can use the touchpad to 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 like it. Uh, that aspect of the game I really really like. You know, you can find people's lost cargo, you can um, choose to deliver that lost lost cargo if you want. Um, you can sh- um, put items into a shared locker that you're not using anymore, and you know you can put cars in the garage that other people can use. And it 
it, it does bring on this feeling that I've never really felt in another game of actually kind of sharing the space, the same space with other people in a single player game. It's a little hard to explain um, if you're not really playing the game, but it all really, really works together because the way that it's implemented is very, very smart. Whether it's abandoning something and then the game telling you like, hey, this was delivered by so-and-so. Um, one example that I recently ran into is that the game has exoskeletons. They have a power one, one for speed, that speed allows you to run faster, power allows you to carry more things. And if you pre-ordered the game, you had access to like gold items, like gold sunglasses, a gold version of the, the uh, what do you call it, the, the, the power skeleton. And I didn't pre-order the game. I just got it from a friend of mine that uh, that runs a game store. And so the power, I didn't have access to any of the gold skeletons. And I was at one of the, uh, what they call knots or one of the cities. And I looked inside the share locker and there was a, a, a gold skeleton. I was like, oh, cool. It's a gold skeleton. I, I, I'm not sure if there's any way to access it in the game if you didn't pre-order it. But the person that pre-ordered it, put their version one i'm guessing they built a version two of the gold skeleton <clears throat> and they put it in there and i was able to take it and use it so small small things like that are pretty cool when you're when you're fighting the bts um you can call for help and and people can throw you weapons and things like that so you can enter what are called strand contracts with other players where the things that they built will they have a greater chance of being populated into your world so the actual strand gameplay is is amazing. And one thing that I actually think is really, really cool is that if you find something, you could kind of play, you know, you kind of toss it like a baton. So if you pick up something and the delivery is supposed to be a point that you know you're not going to go back to at this time, you can drop it off in a post box or at a city and another player can pick it up and drop it off at a city that's close to the destination, and then someone else could pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it, and the more picks up and pick up and drops that uh, package goes through, the more likes that are created and shared amongst the people that um, that uh, were were delivering and helping that package to move along. So things like that are actually really really exciting. It 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 is one of those things that when you play, you're like okay, this is an, a unique experience. One other thing that you could do in the game is you can. As more and more people walk along a certain path, uh, the path begins to turn into a dirt path. So the rocks that were once there will be stamped down and and you'll actually see a dirt path being created. You can use resources to build roads. So once I got access to a truck, I realized like, oh, there's a lot of metal and I think the other material ceramic, I think it is, to build the roads. And I got a truck and I just loaded it up with a bunch of metal ceramic and I started driving to like three different points that were to build a road and everyone has to kind of contribute resources in order for the road to be built. But I just started driving the truck because I was on my way to the destination. I was like, you know what? Let me park the truck right here. Let me um, uh, give as much metal ceramic as I can get in order for us to build this uh, road as quickly as possible. And it's kind of that collaboration that you're hoping that other people playing the game in I mean, who knows where, somewhere in the world is is seeing that being done. And they say, you know what I mean? I, I could do the same. Let me go back to this place. Let me get these materials and drop them off so we can get this road built. Because they know that it'll be not only just easier for them, but it'll make the game easier for so many other people. So 
that aspect of the game I will say is is awesome and 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 it's something that I do hope other games do i'm a um I'm a very introverted um type of person, and I do play multiplayer games, but I enjoy single player games especially at the end of my day if i've if I've had a you know at the end of the game at the end of the day when you're exhausted you just want to relax for me relaxing is not playing you know call of duty you know or any edge of your seat shooter or anything that's multiplayer even if if it's um with you know people i consider really really good friends i know i'm going to have fun it's more about the the aspect of communicating and having to use up even more of my energy sometimes in order to recharge i just want to be able to play a single player game go on my own pace and this this the this multiplayer aspect in this game is like the introvert's multiplayer dream which is you're interacting with other players you're collaborating with other players but there's no need to spend that much energy in in, in planning or in communication for example um so those aspects of, aspects of the game are, are are really really good as as i played though the one thing i look at is I can understand why people wouldn't like the game. I'm really, really enjoying it. You know, like when I get to a destination, I always see what's in the share locker. I always say to myself, okay, if I'm going to that city, what's going to that city? Now that I have a truck, it's like, you know, I'm loading up like 15 packages. To me, I find satisfaction in finding random packages, loading them up, um, dropping kind of 15 packages in, in, in one shot and things like that. I like the challenge of being met with a mountain and knowing that you can't get over it and and trying to find another path or looking on on the map to see if someone has been there before and they they put down a ladder or a rope that you can use or getting through a part that was tough, uh, connecting the network and then going back and saying, you know what, if I had a rope, that would have been easier. So let me lay down a rope. So if someone else is coming through here, they can get that rope and I'll make their path a lot easier for them. Those are the things that appeal to me. And that's why I tend to look at this game as one of the worst to read reviews on because I don't think it's very easy for reviewers to be objective for this type of game. You have to be subjective with Death Stranding. Either you like it or you don't, and that's going to come across in your review. So if someone reviewed this game very low or they didn't recommend it, it's not because they're a bad reviewer. Some people tend to look at it. It's just it wasn't their type of game. And that's okay. You have to be kind of okay with that. Now, there was a, a little bit of a controversy that came up about the game. In Death Stranding, there are different um, cameos. So within the game and, and, and within the world, a lot of people have become what are called preppers, kind of quote-unquote doomsday preppers which are people that chose to live underground because of the BTs. And your job is to connect these people into the network and kind of make them understand that together we're stronger. And that's kind of, you know, one of the central themes of, of the game, even with the strand gameplay. One of the cameos in the game is by someone named Hirokazu Hamamura, who used to be Famitsu's editor-in-chief and is now the president of the magazine's publisher, Enterbrain. Now, he is a person in the game uh, that goes by the name of the Collector. I know where he's located in the game, but I haven't actually gone uh, to this to this person myself. Um, 
along with him being in the game, when you go to, I think he kind of lives sort of in a cave. When you go to it on one of the walls near the entrance is Famitsu's mascot, who's called Neki the Fox. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Neki the Fox. So for those that don't know, Famitsu is one of the, uh, Japan's biggest gaming publications. And they're known for their 10 out of 10 review scores that not many games have gotten. Only 26 games have received perfect Famitsu scores. The issue and the controversy that's popping up is that Death Stranding was one of those games that were, that received a perfect score. It received It received all 10s. Now, it doesn't take a genius to realize that this is sort of a conflict of interest. If the president of the magazine's publisher is inside of the game, the mascot is inside of the game, they probably shouldn't be allowed to, A, review it, or if they review it in their review, they should state that our president and our mascot um, are present inside of the game. That's That disclaimer is not in their review. So a lot of people in Japan are upset, they think it's gross, they think it's disgusting that someone is reviewing the game and is actually inside of the game. It's 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 similar to, let's say, if a reviewer at Pitchfork uh, that reviewed Kanye West, you know, Jesus' King album was also in one of his skits on the album or was in the intro, for example. If he gave Jesus is King a perfect score, we'll be sitting here saying, wait a minute, hold on a second. So this guy's in Jesus is King's intro, and now he is, just gave Jesus is King a perfect score. Like, how is that not a conflict of interest? It absolutely 100% is. The issue is that for Famitsu, a lot of people, uh, I think especially here in, in the West, don't really trust Famitsu's reviews. And I personally... Don't trust Samitsu when it comes to Kojima games. So, um, 26 games have received perfect Famitsu scores. That's it. Only 26. And I think Famitsu has been reviewing games since the 80s. And only 26 games have received perfect scores. Four of those games are now Hideo Kojima games. So, <laughs> Kojima has gotten perfect score for Metal Gear Solid 4, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, Metal Gear Solid 5, and now he got a perfect score for Death Stranding. I don't think it, ge- it takes a genius to think that, I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> there's no way that these scores are not being manipulated. Like, how is it possible that Metal Gear Solid 4 got a perfect score, but that Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation 1 didn't get a perfect score. And then once you look at Famitsu's other scores, I mean, I've never really trusted the publication. Nintendogs has a perfect score. Super Smash Brothers Brawl for the Wii has a perfect score. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> we know how ridiculously bad Super Smash Brothers Brawl is on the Wii. Most people would rather play Super Smash Brothers 64 than play Brawl for the Wii. Like, let's be honest. That is not a 10 out of 10 type of experience. So um, I think people in Japan have the right to question it, but the issue is not really questioning, oh, how is it that they're in the game? The issue is more that what's going on with Famitsu and, and, and Hideo Kojima. I mean, like I said, a lot of gamers here in the West don't really trust Famitsu. I don't think anyone here in the USA says to themselves, you know what, I'll wait to hear what Famitsu has to say. No, Nobody here in the West ever says that. I think um, Famitsu has a, a very long kind of history of probably not being the best reviewers within within the industry. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it's something that really is going to 
you know, you're going to see cancel culture hit back at Famitsu or, or Hideo Kojima or hashtag cancel Famitsu happening here and, and Twitter in the West because I I think people simply don't care. They, they've they turned their backs on Famitsu kind of a, a uh, quite some time ago. And uh, as I said, I'm enjoying Death Stranding. I understand why people wouldn't, wouldn't like it. Um, there are weaknesses to the game, in my opinion. Combat is definitely one of them. I hate any type of combat in the game. Um, I think Kojima kind of, I think, built up the BTs a little bit more or the beached things. Um, and when you get to those portions of the game, I hate it. It kind of really puts a stop to the pace of the game. You have to crouch, you have to stay quiet, you have to hold your breath. It's gotten to the point where actually I would rather have a BT touch me. Once a BT touches you or detects you, they kind of bring you under the ground, they drag you, and then you have to fight a giant tar monster for whatever reason, like a giant whale or something that looks like a giant spider. Um, Throw a couple of grenades, they die. You get a lot of a resource called uh, chiral crystals. So to me, most of the time when I'm up to a point where there's BTs, instead of sneaking, I'll park my vehicle far away. I'll I'll put all my packages down. I'll let a BT uh, take me and and then I'll just uh, go ahead and destroy the monster because it it it's isn't that hard it's just more tedious than anything but the combat in the game is just not really good and it, it, it's almost to the point that when i get into combat in the game i almost ask myself why does this game even have combat like sometimes it's like i think the game would have been just fine without this type of conflict maybe something some other type of mechanic could have been introduced um but i i, I just i personally don't like it um but Death Stranding is one of those games where I say to myself, this is why I don't like review scores. I don't like scores. I don't like numbers. I don't like Metacritic. I don't like Open Critic. I don't like Rotten Tomatoes. I don't like any of these aggregating sites that turn reviews into numbers because it, for, it, it, it tells people that it's okay to not read. It's okay to not understand a person's opinion. It's okay to not understand that this is one person's viewpoint on this particular um, game or this particular book or this particular film. This is one person's taste. I don't think reviews can be completely objective. Uh, I think certain things can be objective. I think it's it's simple. It's easy to go into Death Stranding and objectively say the graphics are good or the graphics are bad. The, 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 tech, the, the, um, the tech part of it is good. It's bad. There's a lot of clipping. There's a lot of glitches. There's, there's a, a frame rate issue. Those technical things can be very, very objective. But what you take away from Death Stranding, whether you're really tied into a story, whether you realize like, man, there's metaphors up the wazoo, whether you think some things are kind of stupid. Like the game is, um, you know, is a metaphor for social media. Like it's very, very apparent once you play the game. The mules... Uh, the people who purely go after your packages are addicted to oxytocin. They're addicted to the high that comes from delivering a package. Like, uh, you know, it's a metaphor for people that steal memes and repost it and they get a high off of the likes and things like that. Like, I get it. But it's also like so heavy handed is ridiculously kind of stupid, in my opinion, that we just choose to 
accept that there's a group of people inside of this world that are addicted to delivering packages. Like, what? <laughs> there's people that are addicted to hoarding packages? Like, uh, okay. <laughs> so all of those are going to be differences of opinions, which is why if you're thinking about purchasing a game, read reviews. Don't just go by the score. You know, if if you're thinking to yourself, if you're going to a, a if you're going to visit Miami, don't Google best burger places in Miami. See one article that says number one super burger in Miami, and say to yourself, "Well, that's got to be the best burger in Miami." So let me go and do it. There's a lot of these things that have been constructed in in a certain way of like speed over substance, where it's like. You know, just read the number. You know if this is good. Like, obviously, if the burger place one one through ten is number ten, that obviously means that burger place is absolutely disgusting and gross, and you should go to either number one, two, or three. Read, people. Read. Reading is fundamental. Okay, you can't spell fundamental without fun. Fun is in the word. Okay, read. Reading is good for you. Now, before we move on, I've been talking a lot about Death Stranding, but I have to bring something up. That Hideo Kojima said. I've, I'm a Kojima fan, right? I, I do like the Metal Gear games. Metal Gear Solid is still one of my favorite games of all time. Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1. But I think there are a lot of artists in, in, in our timeline here on Earth that get to the point of arrogance where you have to step back and say, this is ridiculous, you know? Anyone who knows me knows that I don't stand anything or anyone. I'm a I'm a huge consumer of hip hop music, but if you're my favorite artist and you do something that I don't like, that I think is trash, that I think is bad compared to the discography that came before it, I'm not gonna be bothered to to express my opinion and say nope, that was bad. Let's move on. You know whether it was something that I personally didn't like about it or something that I think is just bad compared to what came before it. And I would say the same thing about Death Stranding if I didn't like it. There's a difference. I do like it. But there's certain times that people that you are a fan of or that you admire their work, you have to be able to set that aside and say, wait, hold on a second. That's not right. You know, so I used to be a big Kanye West fan. When Kanye West goes everywhere in the world and says he's the greatest thing to happen to the world since sliced bread. He's the next Jesus. He's the next Steve Jobs. He's the modern day Da Vinci, Michelangelo, uh, bigger than God, the world's greatest genius, you know, in the past hundred years. I don't understand how anybody can look at another human being talk like that and not take themselves, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not vibing with this. This is not what I'm here for. And Kojima said something this weekend that kind of got me to that point. I was like, man, that's... Let me just read the quote. The quote is, quote, I have to say that the game received enthusiastic reviews, especially in Europe and Japan. Here in the United States, on the other side, we had stronger criticism. Maybe this is a game that is difficult to understand for a certain type of critic or audience. Americans are big fans of first-person shooters, and Death Stranding is not. It is flying higher. I always try to create new things and disputes and discussions are fine, but it must be said that the Italians or the French have a different artistic sensibility that allows them to appreciate this kind of very original product. Jesus. Come on, man. 
how can you read something like that and it not have that air of just absolute arrogance to it? You know, it reminds me of that South Park episode. I think it was Stan and his family moved to San Francisco and everyone was smelling their own farts. That's that's literally how I look at something like this. Like this is Kojima and his uh, the the way he's been pushing Death Stranding is pretty much like someone smelling their own farts. Because he's basically telling people like, oh, you know what? Come see me in 10 years. See me in 20 years. And you're going to come back and realize how much of a genius I was. And how much of a genius the strand genre is. And, and, and things like that. Like, it's great to be, uh, you know, enthusiastic about your product. You should be, in my opinion. Um, you should be your biggest cheerleader. But come on, man. This guy basically said, for us here in the U.S., our brains are too small to understand the artistic quality of Death Strati. These words I would I would expect from like his stand's mouths. I wouldn't expect it out of Kojima's mouth for him to say something like that. Because then that implies that if I were to look at reviews in Europe, that means that none of the reviews were bad, which is wrong. A lot of the reviews in Europe, Australia, there were bad ones. Same thing here in US, there were bad ones and there were good ones. Maybe he maybe he read that one IGN review. IGN, I think, gave it a 6.5 or a 6.8. I thought to himself, like, oh, well, that reviewer represents all of USA. Obviously, all these people like are Call of Duties and shooting games and things like that. So, obviously, they won't enjoy this type of game. What? <laughs> like, when you think about the last few years and, and, and the games that have, A, either so well or been crit, uh, critically received, I mean... It's not a fair notion to say that all of them have been either A, first-person shooters or something that's completely violent or something like that. Minecraft is the biggest-selling game that was created, you know, that's primarily here in the U.S. You don't see it. I mean, look, man, if you look up to someone and you understand um, and, and, and you're an admirer for the things that they create, it doesn't excuse them from saying things like this. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know what, man, he does have a good point. You know, we only like first person shooters here. Like, come on, man, that's BS, man. Like, if if you're a person that likes a particular genre, you're probably not gonna like anything outside of that genre. But to to kind of make a blanket statement and implying that you know, Death Stranding is not a first person shooter is flying higher than what a first person shooter it like. It implies a that every first person shooter is just. Da, 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 da. Here, here's a gun unnamed uh person that doesn't speak go shoot things like we all know first person shooters not every single one is like that half-life is a very story driven first person shooter for example like i i just thought it was so ridiculous when i when i read this i i just it's so completely arrogant and uh like i said it's literally smelling your own farts and <laughs> come on man I just hope that everyone out there, because I know I, I, I do have listeners outside of the U.S. I hope that everyone out in, that's in the United States is able to keep up with this podcast. I know we all have tiny brains, but hopefully the introduction of the strand genre will teach us to work together, put our tiny brains together in order to comprehend these big ideas that Joel talks about here on Camp Koji or understanding everything else outside um the medium outside of here in, in, in America. Come on, guys. We can't just eat burgers and hot dogs while shooting guns. We, we, we should be flying higher than that here 
in America. Okay, moving right along, Take-Two earnings call revenue from recurrent consumer spending grew 32% during the quarter that ended September 30th. In total, Take-Two made $317,386,000 from microtransactions during the three-month period. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that one more time for the tiny American brains that are listening. I know we, we need to hear things you know, multiple times. In order for us to process it here in the United States of America, revenue from recurrent consumer spending grew 32% during the quarter that ended September 30th. That means in three months, over $317 million were spent in microtransactions. And this is exactly why we have no Grand Theft Auto V single player DLC. This is why we're not getting Red Dead Redemption uh, 2 single player DLC. I think the market has spoken on behalf of Take Two. And Take-Two understands, hey, we're in a business of making money. Single-player um, DLC is not going to make us more money than multiplayer DLC. So um, we can expect more of this from any Take-Two property. And that includes NBA 2K. That's not going to stop. Uh, we're going to keep seeing microtransactions being pushed on things like Grand Theft Auto, the next Grand Theft Auto, whatever that may be, or the next Rockstar property. Um, I can see Take-Two... Going forward, any game that's being created, like that's part of the initial pitch. Is like, okay, cool. This is a game about a rabbit who helps a turtle. First person shooter, of course. This is Mega in the USA. Uh, but but what are the microtransactions? I think if you're gonna pitch a game to Take Two, that's probably gonna have to be part of your uh, of your plan. Is gonna be further revenue after the game comes out. Uh, revenue from recurrent consumer spending accounted for 37 percent of Take Two's total revenue during the pe- period, 857.8 million dollars. 37% of that was was considered recurrent consumer spending, which is a fancy way of saying microtransactions or money you spend after you purchase the initial product. They also revealed that Red Dead Redemption 2 shipped 26.5 million copies. That number does not include the PC release, which just came out. These numbers were before the PC release. Borderlands... Uh, three has reached seven million copies sold in, which is pretty impressive. NBA 2K20 has sold in six million copies. Now to to, to the juggernaut. Grand Theft Auto V has now shipped 115 million copies. Okay, Grand Theft Auto V is six years old. In the last three months, Grand Theft Auto V has shipped five million copies. I think that's more copies shipped than. Games that came out this year, Resident Evil 2 Remake, Monster Hunter. I think I think Grand Theft Auto in the last three months has shipped more copies than those games throughout the entire year. It's, it's mind-boggling. To put it in a, in a perspective, these are the top three best-selling video games in history. Minecraft is still number one, 176 million. That name's that 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 uh, number is only going to grow. Tetris is number two at 170 million, and mind you, that counts every iteration of Tetris. And then Grand Theft Auto V is actually third at 115 million. Now, if Grand Theft Auto V launches within the launch window of PS5 and Scarlet at an enhanced version, you know, it's maybe like closer to the PC version with a higher frame rate, faster loading times, I could definitely 100% see Take Two doing this. I don't, I think it'd be hard to see them doing it at launch, but I could see them doing it within those first few months that those um, systems hit the market, they're definitely going to be on there. There's no way Grand Theft Auto V is not going to hit Stadia at some point. I think they want to get Grand Theft Auto into as many uh, systems as they can in order to really, really drive that uh, that revenue. 
I also wouldn't be surprised if Rockstar was looking at, is it possible to run this on the Nintendo Switch? I mean, they're just going to keep looking for for new avenues um, in order to try to beat Tetris. I think I think beating Minecraft might be tough because Minecraft is still going on, right? Minecraft is still an active product. Tetris is a little bit, you know, a little bit, um, you know, harder, I think, uh, to beat Minecraft just because, you know, Tetris is still not a huge, huge property. It's because of the history. Tetris Effect kind of reinvigorated the franchise a bit and then what Nintendo did with it, but I think it's going to be kind of tough. And, and it's also, it makes Grand Theft Auto V an even, even bigger achievement because that's a $60 game. I mean, now, mind you, it's kind of gone down to like you can usually find it for 30 bucks, 20 bucks sometimes. Um, but we're talking about a game that just came out within the last six years, um, has only existed on five systems 360, PS3, Xbox One, PS4, PC. Um, for it to ship 150 million copies is, is, is a big, big deal. And their DLC and their microtransaction spending has only grown. You know, they added that casino and their growth increased after adding the casino. So they've been able to strike a chord with their core audience that just a lot of other companies have not been able to really strike. And it's mostly because of the consistent updates. Grand Theft Auto, their updates are almost as consistent as something like Fortnite. I feel like Grand Theft Auto is really the only games as a service that is very, very consistent. It seems like every week, there's new items being added, and every month there's a new event, and each event is very, very unique, different from the one that came before it, and you see them kind of trying to do the same with Red Dead Redemption 2, so, I mean, it doesn't surprise me very much, but the number is still, like, drastic, 115 um, million copies is, is pretty crazy. Okay, I'm running very, very behind on this episode, but our story of the week uh, deals with bands. That happened uh, for for two very very different uh, games and franchises. So the first one that we're going to talk about is the FIFA scandal. So um, big shout out to Eurogamer and Dexerto. I took a lot of information for this story from those two publications. Eurogamer has a very very good write up and a very very good summary for this FIFA scandal. So I would definitely suggest checking out that article if you have the time. I'm personally, uh, I do not play sports games. I do not like soccer. I do not, uh, or excuse me, football. And I do not play the FIFA games. So I was very, very new to a lot of this information. But here's basically the gist of it. FIFA runs a weekly series of 30 games called the Weekend League. The Weekend League. The highest level players face each other to determine which in-game rewards those players received. The rewards are determined by players' win-loss records not the quality of the opponent's face, and can range from in-game currency to items packs to special champions versions of, of cards. The cards are used for Ultimate Team, arguably the biggest money maker for EA in terms of microtransactions. I don't, actually, it's not an argument. It is it is the biggest uh, revenue that they make, uh, that EA makes off of microtransactions, is card packs from Ultimate Teams. For the best players, uh, you can earn prizes that would cost hundreds of pounds of in-game currency. So it's very, very lucrative to try to get those um, those specific types of cards because it saves you a lot of money that you'd normally waste um, trying to buy them or trying to get them through pack packs. Uh, for the pros, it's also a route to qualification for the FIFA E-World Cup. Now, there's a player. His real name is Nick Bartels. His uh, handle is Run the Foot Market. He's a 21-year-old streamer and content creator. 
Um, and on Sunday, 20th of October, Nick was on course to reach a top 100 ranking when the pivotal game of the weekend disconnected during the dying moments. This disconnection in FIFA is common. Sometimes it's EA is like server issues, uh, but typically there were, it will be a, a loss for both players. However, there are apparently glitches in the game um, where a person can force both people to exit the game. Uh, it awards their opponent the loss, but because of the glitch, um, the person who caused the glitch will not take a loss. It won't be a blemish on their record. Uh, Nick Bartels thinks that this is what happened to him since he hasn't had a disconnect in three years. Now, the big controversy was following the laws, Bartels tweeted several screenshots that show pro players in the North American FIFA scene commenting on his run and conspiring to end it. Basically, there were these a couple of players on a Discord channel that were talking about how good this guy was doing, obviously being very envious and conspiring together to end his run. Uh, he acquired screenshots from a friend, and his friend was part of what is being called the Dodging Discord. And the Dodging Discord was a server in which pro players conspired to avoid playing each other during the weekend league, leading to easier games. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to understand, or it doesn't take a European, I think even Americans will understand this, that that's uh, conspiracy. You're conspiring this collusion. Basically, these players would get together and try to ensure that during the weekend leagues, they wouldn't play each other. They would only play other players. If I'm not playing the best people in the world, then there's a higher chance that I'm not going to take a loss. More wins means a higher chance for me to get these prizes and in-game items that cost a lot of money. Now, Bartel explains that the Discord, uh, on top of that, they discussed stream sniping. Stream sniping, for those that don't know, is watching someone stream and try to matchmake at the same time that they matchmake to increase the chances that you go into their game and be able to watch their screen in order to find out what their strategies are in order to get a leg up on the competition. Um, Bartel explains that also the Discord features most players in the higher tiers of foot champions in the North America uh, region. Um the Discord was started for North American players to play competitive games with each other to practice, but then it eventually devolved into what is being called uh, the Dodging Discord. Now, EA acknowledged the existence of it. They imposed a two-qualifier ban on one of the most successful FIFA players of all time. His name is Christopher NYC Chris Holly. Uh, and they said, quote, the integrity of our tournaments is the utmost importance to us, and we monitor our competitions on and off the pitch to ensure fair play. We identify a player violated the EA Sports FIFA 20 Global Series Code of Conduct because they used an out-of-game Discord channel to dissuade players from competing against them. This competitor will receive an EA Sports FIFA 20 Global Series 2 qualifier suspension. Now, the issue with the suspension is that everyone else on the Discord has not received the suspension. It was kind of only this one player, which doesn't really make sense to me. Um... Part of me wanted to laugh at this. And the reason why I wanted to laugh at this is because I looked at it as, man, how is it possible that people take the game this serious to start almost like a pond, like a like a freaking scheme in order to 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 manufacture their wins? Like this is like backdoor, you know, in the back of the meat market meetings, mob mob meetings to carve up territory kind of stuff. You know, this is. This is Jimmy Hoffa territory for a lot of these players, creating this discord and coordinating in order to avoid each other. First of all, what a bunch of cowards, man. Like, this is what you get into competition for. This is what you go to these tournaments for, is to play the best of the best. 
you know, in order to be the best, you got to beat the best, you know, or it's like Jordan said, I don't, I don't play this game to team up with other people. I play this game to beat the best, you know, and to see something like this happen is just wrong. Like, like, why are you even playing competitively then if your aim is to avoid people in order to get prizes or whatever. The point of comp competition is for you to say, yes, I am the best, you know, not, okay, I'm going to work with the other people that I think are the best or they're better than me, or I'm scared of facing them because I might lose in order for me to get some foot champion card or whatever this may be. And, um, apparently, uh, Nick Bartels is, is claiming that this is not just happening in North America. It's also happening in Europe and Asia, these other leagues, that play these FIFA games that they've been doing the same. There are channels that exist where people work together to avoid each other. It doesn't seem that EA really has addressed the issue. They haven't really talked about, well, this is what we're doing in order to avoid that. We're going to monitor wins and losses a little bit more closely. They haven't made any of those announcements. So the way that I look at this, especially if it was only one person that was banned, I'm sure a lot of people are going to continue doing this, especially people from the European scene. Now that this is out there, there's probably a lot of people that play FIFA competitively. They said to themselves, wow, I didn't even think about that. And so we're probably going to see a lot more people doing this unless EA puts a stop to the bans. And this is a good segue into the next uh, story, which is also talking about a ban. And the reason why it's a segue is because I want to talk about how important it is for companies to think about bans, impose the correct ones, for the correct punishments at the correct time. So what happened with EA and FIFA is a perfect example of a bad ban. A ban that's not really going to affect change or not going to really stop people from committing the same, I really don't want to say crime, committing the same exploit. If you only ban one person and in that Discord there were proven to be at least six other pros on there, that you're 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 not setting a good example to scare other people from doing the same thing. What happened is the complete opposite with what happened with Fortnite. In Fortnite, there is a uh, player whose name is Jarvis. He is a 17-year-old Fortnite competitive player who is a part of FaZe Clan. He goes by the handle FaZe Jarvis. Now, what this uh, kid decided to do, he decided to download and use an aimbot and a wall hack. He then proceeded to make a 15-minute YouTube video of it, posted the 15-minute video YouTube to his 2.1 million subscribers. In the video, he doesn't provide links. He doesn't provide technical information on how to where to find these hacks, how to install the exploits. But And throughout the video, he warns viewers not to use hacks. He's, he, he says it throughout the video. Uh, don't use hacks. You might get banned. Just don't do it. Don't use hacks. He does put that warning across a couple of times. Shortly after the post in the video, the kid was surprised that Epic hit him with a lifetime ban, stating that they have a zero tolerance policy for the usage of cheap software. On November 3rd, he posted an apology where he says, quote, I just wish I could have known how badly I was messing up because I would never have ever thought of even making those kind of videos if I knew that this could have actually happened before breaking down in tears. Now, Face Clan issued a statement that read, quote, Jarvis is an entertainer and content creator who streams and makes YouTube videos for his fans. Um, he doesn't play professionally. He's a 17-year-old 
who made a poor decision while creating content and even warned several times during the video to never use the aimbot technology. He continues to reflect on the repercussions of his actions and the serious error in judgment. FaZe Clan continues to support Jarvis in all areas of his career and believes unequivocally that he is a well-intentioned young man and his actions, though clearly wrong, were not malicious in intent. Now, when this happened, um, the internet... Um, was kind of a bit divided and people who thought that the band was too harsh, people who thought that the band was just right. Um, my opinion, the band is the way it should be because the band is the band that everybody gets. If a person that has no social media presence that has, you know, 15 YouTube subscribers, 10 followers on Twitter, did the same thing, downloaded the aimbot, downloaded a, a, a wall hack, they will get a lifetime ban. Which means that it should not be any different for anybody else. It should be the same punishment for everybody. That's an equal society. That's an equal punishment. That's the way that it has to be. Now, Ninja, for I mean, you know, everyone knows who Ninja is. He responds to the ban by saying, there are, quote, there are lines. There's a difference between a content creator who has millions of subscribers, hundreds of thousands of followers that gets banned from what literally makes his money, and some kid who is just a piece of shit, has absolutely zero following, has zero money that comes from Fortnite, is different. The stakes are different. Now, look, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Same way that I'm entitled to say you have a very stupid opinion. And Ninja's opinion is very stupid. The opinion is dumb. It's just not a good opinion. Now, part of me understands why Ninja responded in this way, right? Ninja's defending his kind, right? Ninja's a Fortnite content creator. He understands that, man, if I ever got banned from Fortnite, I'm going to lose a lot of money. I'm going to lose a lot of potential money that's going to be made. But at the end of the day, the punishment still fit the crime. Now, what FaZe Clan co-founder Richard Banks Benson tweeted, quote, what Jarvis did was obviously stupid. It was a mistake, and the point has been made very clear. Fortnite is a huge part of his life, and I just so see the punishment fitting of the crime. And according to Banks, the punishment is, he put in parentheses, destroying a 17-year-old kid's life. Bruh. Come on. Okay. This is not destroying the life of a 17-year-old, okay? Let's let's talk about a few things. Number one, the kid has 2.1 million followers on on uh, YouTube. His average um, revenue on a video uh, from ad revenue, he averages about twenty to $30,000. Uh, I, I think that was technically pounds, but whatever. We'll just say uh, dollars. I know that, you know, math is really hard for us Americans, but... Um, I'm just going to use dollars, uh, 20 to 30,000, $30,000, um, per average on the videos that he makes. Um, the apology video that he made, he did not demonetize it. So on the apology, he actually made about $20,000. Um, like I say, he has 2.1 million YouTube followers. I guarantee you any game that this kid plays, he'll be able to, um, he'll be able to still make, uh, money on it. Um, his life is not over. Okay. There's a 17 year old. His life is not over because he's been banned from Fortnite. Um, now the question comes with, did he deserve this ban? Is a lifetime ban too harsh? 
Uh, and I'm going to tell you why it's not too harsh. Okay. Number one, everybody that te- cheats gets a lifetime ban. Okay. If you are playing a game of Fortnite, and I guarantee you, if, if a month ago someone went to Jarvis and said, Jarvis, if you're playing in a game, even if it's just for fun, even if it's not a competition, it's not a tournament, and someone has an aimbot, do you think they should get a one-month ban, three-month ban, or a lifetime ban? I guarantee you most Fortnite players are going to say they should get a lifetime ban. So if that's the way that you feel, then you can't argue against it if the ban comes back to you. Now, punishments need to match the exploit or the crime in order to prevent future people from doing it. That's just the way it works. If premeditated murder, uh, if people were to get, um, you know, community servers for premeditated murder because of the amount of followers that, you know, I know that that Jarvis stabbed a woman to death and I understand that, but, you know, he makes a lot of money on YouTube showing people how to, how to use knives properly and how to sharpen them. Like, you're taking away his money by putting him in jail for the rest of his life. Really? Come on. And obviously, one is heavier than the other. I understand we're talking about video games here, but um, the other thing that people are bringing up is Jarvis is just a kid. Jarvis is a kid. Jarvis is a kid. Jarvis is a millionaire, for people that don't know this. Okay, that's number one. Um. The thing that people need to understand is that a kid in 2000, we're about to be 2020, a kid in 2020 is not a, the same kid that was in 1990, okay? 90s babies are very different from the kids that are growing up right now. Kids, because of the amount of, of information that they have access to nowadays, um, mature a lot faster than when we grew up in the, people that grew up in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Because you have access to so much. And along with having access to so much, you have access to um, so many examples of consequences. So many examples of when you do bad things, you can expect bad consequences. That's that's the way that, that, that every action has a reaction. That's the way that the world works. And for me to say a 17-year-old was just a kid and he did something stupid... I don't agree with that argument. And the reason why is because I watched the video. The video was taken down, but people have mirrors. And he opens the video by saying, hey, so I downloaded a hack. We're actually, I had I created a new account. So the kid was smart enough to do a new account because he claimed, I'm afraid of my uh, my main account getting banned. So I created a new one on a completely different computer. Took, took the precaution of getting a whole different computer. He even says... Um, on stream, like, yeah, you know, I, we just had a computer lying around in the house, you know, for those questioning, he does come from a middle, middle class family. It's a $1.2 million home that they live in, but that's a whole nother thing. I'm not trying to beat the kid up, right? He grabbed a whole nother computer, created a whole new account, decided to not use the aimbot immediately. He said, oh, you know, we have to play a few games first. Um, so the Fortnite police don't catch us. They need to think that we're playing normally. So we can't use the aimbot immediately. Then he goes on to use the aimbot. Throughout the time, he keeps saying, I'm going to get banned. I'm going to get banned. This might get me banned. So there's a few things to take in from this video. 
Number one is how premeditated it is. Like I said, there, there are a lot of steps. You're going to just trip into an aimbot. You have to find it. You have to download it. Maybe, I mean, most of the time you have to purchase it, right? These hacks aren't free. You have to install it. Make sure you install it properly. Then the kid had to get a new computer. Then the kid had to create a new account. Then the kid had to um, play a bunch of games, record a lot of footage. Then someone had to edit it down. Maybe he had to edit it himself. Maybe he started to watch it. It had to exchange so many hands. And throughout that entire time, he could have stopped and said, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe it's not right for me to destroy other people's games for content in order for me to get views and things like that, right? He had a lot of steps um, to stop, and he did it. The other thing that made his exploit a lot more dangerous than just someone who decided to just download an aimbot and use it is that he put a YouTube video up of it. Now you have a person that's um, seen as a prominent uh, competitor and a partner to Fortnite is now going on YouTube and yeah, he's not technically saying, Hey, this is where you get the aimbot. This is how you download it. But he's still teaching things, right? He's still at the beginning of the game saying, Oh, you know, you have to make sure you play a few games normally at first, you know? So that's basically teaching kids, impressionable kids. Um, these are one of the precautions you have to take, create a new account. Make sure, you know, even if you have if you have a spare computer, use the spare computer. Don't use the aimbot immediately. Play a couple of normal games first. Um, and then throughout the video, it was, 15, it was a 15 minute video. How many hours of footage did he have? How many matches did he destroy? You know, because everybody that's in those matches, that's it. The game is destroyed, right? And on top of that, in the video, it's not like he said to himself, like, man, you know, this is wrong. Like, I feel so bad. I just shot this guy from across the map. You know, I can see where everyone is. Now, nah, you know what? This is wrong. Uh, I'm just going to install it. It's not like that part of the video ever came. In the video, he's screaming and hooping and hollering. Oh, my God, look at that shot. Look at this shot. My aim is amazing. A friend of his starts playing. Oh, my God. Like, they're glorifying the aimbot. And for people to not understand why that's um, deserving of a lifetime ban, I, I I don't get it. You know, everything was done right. It's not like he got a lifetime ban and others haven't. It's a zero tolerance policy. Everybody who cheats gets a lifetime ban. So they just give him the same punishment as someone else. So FaZe is saying that they're going to keep negotiating with Epic to try to, um, try to get them to lift the lifetime ban. Hell no. Epic should not lift the lift lifetime ban because what then the message that Epic is saying is that, oh, you know what? If you're big enough, you won't get the same punishment. That's what we're dealing with now in politics, right? We're, we deal with this a lot where people in power, people that have money, have influence and they don't get the same punishment that others do. That's a huge issue in society. And once again, I'm I understand that the weight is different. I'm not trying to say that the weight of this ban is similar to the weight of, you know, the real life and the fact that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. But it it's it's almost still in the same arena of no one should be treated differently because of their status, because of how many followers that they have. That's why I say to Ninja, your opinion was really stupid because what you're saying is that a person that has a lot of subscribers um, should not 
get the same crime. He should get six months um, because it wasn't competitive, because it wasn't a tournament, because he has, because this is his main source of income. A few things. If your main source of income comes from one resource, you need to find more sources of income. That's just like money 101 right there. Like you should have learned this when you were, Jarvis should know this as a 17 year old. His parents should be the ones, if he, if he's a millionaire, his parents should be the ones talking to him about managing his funds and making sure that they're teaching him. You shouldn't rely on just one game. If one game can destroy your career, if one platform can destroy your career by shutting down, then you're not doing a, a, a good job, right? This kid's life is not over. The band was a good band. It was a justifiable band. Um, we talked a lot about the Bliss Chung band. That band was not a good band. The band did not fit the crime, okay? That's why it's very, very important. Because I guarantee you right now, if Epic would not have banned Jarvis, if Epic would have hit him with a one month, they would have hit him with a three month, would have hit him with a six month, two things would have happened. Number one, people that have been banned for a lifetime for using aimbots, they're going to get a lot of backlash from that, right? You're treating someone differently. And then the other thing that's going to happen is that people that were watching that aimbot video, those millions of kids that saw it before it went down, they're going to say to themselves, wow, that looked like a lot of fun. I'll, I'll take the risk. I'll try it. Just so what? Maybe I'll get banned for a month. Big deal. That looks like a lot of fun. He made it look like a lot of fun. I'm going to try it out. Now, because you gave him that lifetime ban, no one's going to try this. No one wants to, to, to get banned forever, especially with a lot of these kids that are growing up, maybe 14, 15, that are looking at the amount of money that can be made and the fact that they can turn this to, to a career. They're definitely not going to risk it after seeing something like this. This is why the right bans are very, very important because the right ban will stop people from committing the same exact crime, from taking advantage of the same exact exploit if they understand this is the type of punishment that I can look forward to. So I'm not even going to attempt to do something like that. The ban was good, period, point blank. There's no argument to be made. This week's hot releases, November 11th, Romance Saga 3, PC, PS4, PS Vita. Vita getting new games. Switch, Xbox One. The 12th is Doctor Who, The Edge of Time, PC, PS4, and B Simulator for Switch and Xbox One. November 14th, Age of Empires 2, The Fitting of Edition, and Kingdoms Under Fire 2, both on PC. Sparklight for PC, PS4, Switch, Xbox One, Fractured Minds, PC, Xbox One. The 15th is the big game of the, the big day of the week. Terminator Resistance for PC. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, PC, PS4, Xbox One. I am looking forward to that. I'm gonna get mine this week. And then Pokemon Sword and Shield, arguably probably gonna be the biggest selling game of the year, comes out for Switch this Friday. We'll see how many people wanted to use hashtag national Pokedesk and find out that they're still gonna buy the game. It's, it's going to be a bunch of you. Time to wrap it up. We're going to make this one quick since we're already uh, over time. Death Stranding PC is coming to summer, coming to PC summer 2020, launching simultaneously on Epic Game Store and Steam. Personally, I'm very surprised by this. I thought they would at least have a one-month exclusivity with Epic Game Store. Either Epic didn't make an offer, which I kind of doubt, or 505 Games, which the publisher decided to launch on both simultaneously. Personally, to me, you should have at least gotten a little bit of extra money for a month exclusivity or even a week. I think it would have made a lot of sense. 
But the good thing about it is that because of the nature of the game, the quote-unquote strand gameplay, you have more people playing it. So it's kind of a win-win all around. Terry Bargard joined Super Smash Bros. Ultimate as his 74 fighter last week. I think uh, Nintendo has to. Nintendo doesn't get enough credit for what it's done with Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I mean, it's just bonkers. The amount of different, not just characters that they gave, that they put in, but the amount of... Uh, uh, care that each character is given every character is completely different you get like 50 music tracks new levels a completely new character i mean nintendo is is still doing dlc very very right a lot of value for the money that you're given uh for that fighter pass overwatch director jeff kaplan had this to say about blitzchunk suspension Quote, I was relieved when they re- reduced the suspension, and I think the suspension should be reduced or eliminated, but that's just me. Very, very good to see employees within Blizzard speak out. Also equally good to see that Blizzard, there's no public punishment against what he said. The Hearthstone developers actually also said something along the same lines. They thought that the suspension was too harsh. Very, very good to see uh, Blizzard uh, letting their employees speak freely. I still want to see an employee put out a free Hong Kong tweet just for us. Please do it. Come on, Kaplan. Um, According to Digitimes, Apple is working with Valve on its long-in-development augmented reality headset. The device is set to be targeting a second half of 2020 release, which is set to be sold as an iPhone accessory that relies on the smartphone's processing power. I think this is uh, the, the partnership just makes a lot, a lot of sense. I think Apple should just buy Valve, find us Half-Life 3. It's in there somewhere. Half-Life 3 going to be for AR guaranteed uh but all jokes aside i think ar is the next wave i actually would put more weight in ar than vr personally speaking uh google glass to me was very very interesting it was ahead of its time it just wasn't um introduced at the right time um but now that technology has advanced a lot more i i think it'll be smart for google to get back into it but apple invest in ar at the right time and something like this could be a big big game changer uh, for them as a company, and I think for Valve also. Sony Interactive CEO Jim Ryan confirmed that PlayStation Now will not emulate Xbox's Game Pass in terms of first-party titles showing up on the servers on release date. Um, quote, the nature and scale of some of the first-party games that we are making leads us to think that right now it's better to spend energy on making sure that the launch of those games is a massive entertainment event. I don't want to say this is what PlayStation Now is going to be like forever, but certainly right now, given how some of our first-party IP is incredibly special and valuable, we just want to treat them with amazing care and respect and have those launches be clean and pure. And for those that didn't notice, that is the longest way to say we don't, we are not interested in losing money in order to grow PlayStation Now, because that's exactly what Microsoft is doing. They're banking on, that's why... Xbox Game Pass is surpassing PlayStation Now subscribers hand and foot. They probably 10x them right now on uh, subscribers. And in order for PlayStation to grow, they either have to introduce something that Microsoft's not doing, or they're going to have to at one point match them, even if it's for for smaller titles, not for huge marquee uh, releases. And that is our show. Quick shout out to Jack Courage Dunlop, who left Twitch and will stream exclusively for YouTube, we're continuing to see this exodus of streamers, but actually, out of all the streamers that left, this is actually, in my opinion, the smartest deal in terms of monetary value. You get a nice bag from YouTube, and now you're able to, number one, stream exclusively to a service that has billions of people on it. 
um, from all over the world. And on top of that, you have access to YouTube's resources in order to branch out and create different types of content for different types of audiences and have streams on the same exact platform. Makes the utmost sense. So shout out to him for securing the bag. And I think that's it. I think that was our show, a little bit longer than normal, but I had a lot to say. I know usually us Americans, um, you know, um, we're really known as people that don't use many words, many different words, um, a lot of larger words and ideas fly above us. Um, so uh, sorry to Hideo Kojima. We will try better as a nation. Um, to do more than just play first person shooters and, and eat cheeseburgers so thank you guys so much for joining me please follow us on twitter and instagram at camp koji for future updates once again my name is joel and i will see you next week